Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. First Thessalonians 5. First part of chapter 5 talks about the day of the Lord. And um, you, you usually find people polarized on that. They either really like to talk about that or it scares them a little bit. And I, I want you to know that we're, we're looking forward to a good thing. And always when the Bible describes the appearing of the Lord Jesus, it's something that we ought to be excited about, that, that uh, the one who we love is coming back and he's returning to us and he's taking us to be with him. And you remember the words of Paul here, and uh, so shall you ever be with the Lord. From then, from then on, we get to be with him. And so it's a good thing. Today, um, we're talking about exhortations about others. Doesn't that sound exciting? You might be thinking, I don't know what that means, um, but it has a negative feel about it. So what are we, we talking about, Pastor? And I want to just encourage you that we have a responsibility to one another. We have a responsibility together for the well-being of the church. It's, uh, it's. I think this is the central thrust of Paul's instructions here. It's not, it's not my church, okay? It's not your church. Okay, we might say, "Will you come and visit me at, at my church?" Yes, I know what you mean, but you realize that it's not only your church, amen. And and I realize that too. Um, it's it's more than that. It's it's his church. It's the Lord's church, which he has given us a part. And I'm not the church, and you're not the church individually. We're the church together. Okay, so that's God's uh, reminder to us of of the responsibility that we have. And in one place, it says that we are we are members one of another, and that's really important to keep in mind because so often uh, there's a a way of thinking that has crept in. If you've grown up here, if you've taken in all the ads and the, all of the uh, television and all of the selfist philosophy that is going on, that, that the world's about you. And we need to remember that when you become a Christian, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to the Lord, and He puts us together. Sometimes He puts us together in uncomfortable scenarios, Right? And he does that even in families, doesn't he? Have you realized that sometimes brothers and sisters have the hardest time getting along? But in those, in those scenarios, there is a, a way that we become socialized towards one another, not in the political sense, but uh, in the relational sense that we understand what it means to live within a community, and we, we need that. And God has understood that, and us being creatures fit for heaven demands that, that we be people who are relational towards one another. And so we've come through a section about the return of Christ, and, that, and that's very fascinating. And uh, what we're going to talk about now might, in contrast, I don't know if it will, I hope not, I hope this helps to correct that, but it might, uh, in contrast, seem not so fascinating, not so exciting. Um, I started as a youth pastor almost 28 years ago. Uh, I know, I know, it doesn't seem like that could even be possible since you think I'm 28, but uh, it's almost 28 years ago I started as a youth pastor, and I would have thought that we all wanted to know 
what God wants us to do. But I find that often that's not the case, is that we don't want to know what God wants us to do. We want to be, we want to be entertained. We want to be fascinated. And uh, something I learned really early is that not everything in the Bible is equally interesting. Anybody else find that out? Not everything's equally interesting. I think Stacy gave a testimony the other day about reading through uh, First Chronicles and getting to the what I like to call the phone book site. Some of you don't know what phone books are because you're too young. But there used to be these big, fat things that had a list of everybody's, believe it or not, everybody's number in them, and uh, just name after name after name. And some parts of the Bible seem a little bit like that. And so there are things that people get excited about in the Bible, and there are other things that they don't. And in a perfect world, the things that people get excited about or interested in would be the most needed things. But we don't live in a perfect world, and it's not the case. And I've seen that there's a pattern. I want to address this first of all, and then we can, we can dive into the details a little bit. But uh, there is this pattern where a lot of energy can be spent in trying to figure out the mysterious things of the Bible while leaving the plain things with very little attention. And it's a common thing, and it's um, the one another commands often is is considered the least exciting to people. I can't tell you um, how often in in growing up in church I got excited about the return of Christ, and and you should be excited about that. There's a little bit of a mysterious element to it, uh, and then when it came to the practical everyday stuff, that wasn't exciting to me, and. And I wanted to be entertained, and I wanted to be um, brought into the fascination and talk about the power of God. Don't talk about the responsibility of bearing the fruit of the Spirit and things like that. And so there was a little bit of disinterest. And the one another commands, which there's a lot of them in the Bible. I don't know if you know this, but the one another commands are the things that are less exciting. And if I'm honest, I think the the reason for that is that there's an interest-demand ratio. And I'm going to show you what I mean here, if we can. Okay, exhortation about others. Yep, we got past that. All right, this is interest and demand. Okay, so when I'm talking about interest, I'm talking about the, the curiosities and concerns that we have about things. Okay, so those are the interests. Okay, we have things that we're interested in, we're curious about them, or we're concerned about them because we know that they're important. And then on the other side of things is the demand. This is the, uh, I don't mean that this is in demand, like in supply and demand. I mean that there are things that are demanded of us, okay? There's a requirement or an obligation that's placed upon you. And so when it comes to those things, oftentimes we're less excited about them. Do you hear what I'm saying? That there are the interesting, mysterious things and then there are the demanding things, okay? Sometimes, and this is probably the exception that proves the rules, those two things are one and the same. Like we're interested in the things that make great demands upon us. But oftentimes, the very plain things, the instructions of how we ought to treat one another, live at peace with one another, love one another, those aren't very interesting. They're not very mysterious. And so we see this kind of shift here. And... um, so you find that if there's high interest, there's low demand. Like if you're trying to find out like the mysteries of the ten-toed kingdom in the book of Revelation or you're searching through Daniel, you're finding out things that are exciting to find out, but probably in a practical level, you're not hearing of a personal demand. You, you see what I'm saying? But then there's the other side of things, 
and that's where we may be low in interest, but there's high in demand. Like this thing isn't as interesting, but it demands something of us. And what I'm trying to do here is just an attempt to explain a phenomenon that I, I see as common. And I've been wrestling with this for some time. How do I preach the things that are really important but are not as interesting to people? How do you do that? And, and I, I don't know the answer or that there is one particular answer. But why is it then also that so many people, so many Christians, just don't read their Bibles? And I wonder if maybe the problem is with us. Moses warned the people in uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, listen to this, the secret things belong to the Lord, okay? But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And then listen to this part, this is the last of it, that we may follow all of his words. The secret things belong to the Lord, okay? There are hidden things that are fascinating, we'd love to know about, we like to talk about, we like to speculate about. But those things belong to the Lord, and there are some things we just can't know until we get to eternity, okay? And those things we have to, we can think about them, sure. We can speculate about them, sure. But at the end of the day, we have to leave those in the hands of the Lord. Should, those, should that, should those things occupy more of our time than the things that have been revealed? Because the things that are revealed are the things God wants us to know. Would you agree? If he's revealed it, he wants us to know those things, and he says, it, these things belong, the Moses says, these things belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow his words. Okay, so it's a practical thing. Like, he's made it known so that we can do something about it. We're going to look at our text in just a moment, but let me share one more text from Paul before we get there. Paul told his pastoral apprentices to steer clear of this kind of stuff that's in the speculative realm. Okay, so... He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 7, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have de- departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they confidently affirm. And once again, now, this isn't Moses. This is Paul writing to Timothy, saying to him, as you pastor this church, make sure that people aren't getting so wrapped up in the speculative that they're ignoring the down-to-earth, and make sure for sure that they're not getting wrapped up in false teaching because there are things God wants us to do. There are ways he wants us to live, and we need to focus on those things. So the emphasis in both of these is on living right in light of plain revelation. You may think that I'm saying here that it's wrong to be fascinated with the mysteries of the Bible. And I want you to know, on the contrary, I hope you're interested in everything the Bible has to say. Paying special attention to what we know God's will to be, the very plainly revealed will of God. And what I think is irresponsible then, in, and probably immature, is to neglect the plain teaching of Scripture and consuming ourselves with its mysteries. Okay, I think that that's irresponsible, and as we grow in the Lord, we understand this to be the case, that mysteries don't demand a lot of us, while instructions make demands, but aren't that mysterious. And we... 
we just need to do those things. Okay, so it's important, and there's glory in it, that which we see later. If you're a parent, you probably already know this. Like, you'll tell your kids something um, that's important, and they won't pay any attention to that. I know because I was a kid one time. And then on the other side of things, they'll be caught up in something that's really, really not important, and they'll give all their attention to that. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? You can place that at almost every level of childhood, even into adulthood, that we get wrapped up in things like that. And the same is true spiritually. But I think there's some glory in hearing what God has made plain and doing it. Okay? I was thinking of an analogy to this, and I'm just going to warn you that most of what I know about orchestra comes from Bugs Bunny. So this is very limited, but if you can plug in your superior knowledge on this, that'd be great. But I was thinking about um, just doing the plain thing. A single musician, for example, in an orchestra, a single musician has spent thousands of hours practicing their personal skill. You Would you agree to that? That Every individual, by, by the time they're reaching their performance date, they've spent thousands of hours learning to play by themselves, probably many of those hours without anybody cheerleading them on. They're perfecting a skill, okay? And then when they've, as they've perfected that skill, um, then they start looking at a piece of paper that has notes on it that tell it what to do. And I imagine, I'm, I'm not a musical person, so I've not done this, but I've spent enough time reading books to understand that sometimes looking at lines on a page can get real old. There's not a lot of motivation in it, you understand? But that musician learns that piece of music by heart, okay? So brings it into themselves, and they understand what's being done there. They learn their part, and then... When it's time to play and it's time not to play, they play their note and then they hold their breath and their beat when it's someone else's turn, watching for the conductor. And uh, to the musician, it must be like an obedience, you know. To the audience, when it all works together, it's glorious, okay. All of that discipline for that moment to play in that performance so that when someone comes, they're enraptured in the music that's there and there's glory in it. But it probably, at the surface level, doesn't look all that glorious. And that's what I'm trying to communicate here is that some of the practical things that God wants us to do as we enter into this, this symphony, which is the church, it doesn't look glorious, but when it's seen from a bird's eye view, when it's stepped back away from and seen, there's glory in it. Are you with me? And so I, I want you to catch the spell. You know what I mean? I don't mean that in a weird, magical way. But, but hear what I'm trying to say here, that the things that are mentioned in this text that we're about to read will strengthen our community, and it'll strengthen our witness, and it'll bring glory to God. And after, uh, after all, we need a strong spiritual family to bring people to. Some people are all evangelism. That's great. We need people like that. That They're like, I want to go win the world for Jesus, okay? We need that. But then once they're one, what do we bring them to? Are we bring them to a dysfunctional family? Or can we bring them to a place where there is wholeness and healing and where they can see the glory of God expressed in relationships and they can see the love of God in a visible way between people who love one another? And we don't do it perfectly, but that's what we're striving for today. This is 
This is our witness. Okay? And I want you to see how relational this passage is. Okay? Let's read it, and then we can, we can talk about it. We're looking at verses 12 through 15. Three verses. Can you bear with that today? Three verses of what I've called the practical parts of the Christian life, the exhortation concerning one another. Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but every, excuse me, but always strive to do what's good for each other and for everyone else. Okay, so I'd like you to see how relational this passage is. There are 95 words in the passage I just read here, and 25 of those are direct references to people. Okay, that's just in case we're not real math savvy, and I'm not, but that's almost one in four. That's actually one in, over one in four of these words are talking about people. So this is important in the mind of God that we relate one to one another well. And I've said before that when I was growing up in church, we heard a lot of sermons about different things, but I don't remember a lot being preached about the unity of the body of Christ. And that, that's really tragic because um, Pentecostals will proclaim great power, but a lot of times that power isn't displayed relationally, not very effectively. A lot of times. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it's wonderfully brilliant, and, um, but other times not so much. Um, let, me, let me mention three categories here. The first one is, um, these are exhortations, and the first category is towards those who lead. Okay, let me tell you what the others are, and then you can see it all together. Towards those who lead, toward those who need, and toward everyone indeed. All right, so that's our, our outline for today. Verses 12 and 13. Uh, look, at, look again at what it says here. Um, we ask you, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. Now we ask you, these are things being asked. Notice the difference in tone. If I say to you, um, I'm asking you if you'll do this, or I ask you to do this, versus I'm telling you to do this, okay? there's a difference in tone, isn't there? There's a gentleness that comes along with it. I mentioned exhortation at the beginning, and Maybe that word isn't commonly enough used except for in the Bible and in church. And exhortation is typically less than command, but more strong than encourage. Okay, so it's somewhere above, I encourage you. Uh, it's more like urge. I urge you to do this, but it's, it's less than command. Like, I'm not demanding this of you, though you know you should. Paul doesn't always take the, the approach of, I'm the boss, and... And you're the one who needs to hear what I say, and you're going to do it. Oftentimes, unless it demands that, he doesn't do it. Usually what he does is he comes in with a soft approach and says, this is what I'm asking of you to do in light of what God's done for you, what Christ has done for you, how he saved you, how he's shown you grace, how he's accepted you. You ought to accept one another, how he's loved you. You ought to love one another in a similar way. And so when he's saying, ask here, it's a, it's a tonal thing. It's an exhortation of, I'm urging you in this particular direction. So exhortation is less than command, but more, uh, more than encourage. 
So who is it that's being asked in this passage? He's not talking to the church leaders because he's talking about the church leaders in this this first section here. So he's asking the brothers and sisters. Who's the brothers and sisters? It's the church, isn't it? It's everybody in the church. He's saying, I encourage you or I ask you, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters equals the whole church. Who is it that's going to fulfill the responsibility that he's asking of them? It's the church. I want to take care of an elephant in the room here before we get um, into this part. I feel awkward even talking about it because it could come across that um, this is all self-serving. And uh, there are a few reasons why I have to go ahead and say this anyway. The first one is this, is that it's in the Bible, and it's right in the way of us getting through this book. Okay, so when we're talking about leaders, if we're going to be honest, let's, we're just going to skip over it. We, we have to talk about it. The second reason is that I'm not the only leader that you have or will have. Okay, and then the third is that it's beneficial for everyone when we function as we should. Okay, so those are the reasons uh, I hope you'll hear that. I feel, and just knowing that I feel a little awkward talking about this, I wonder how awkward Moses felt when he had to write, Moses was the most humble man alive, remember? He had to write that, Lord, you want me to say that? I can't say that. You must. I I don't know how that sounded, but he did. Um, It was written anyway. But, but I feel awkward in, in this. But here's, here's what it says. And, and know that this applies to all leaders and, um, who have influence in our lives. The, f- the first thing that he says here, he's asking of them, is to acknowledge those who work hard among them and who care for them in the Lord and who um, admonish them. Okay, So he's saying that the, the main verb that, that captures this whole section is acknowledge. Acknowledge. He's asking us to acknowledge. And today, he he wants us to hear this. This is for the body of Christ. This is the Bible. And and so when he says acknowledge here, uh, it means to recognize merit, to show respect or honor, not just to recognize that they're there. Like yes, there's a person there that's preaching at us, um, but but more than just acknowledging that they're there but honor them. And it means something like showing value to them. The KJV here has uh, know those who work among you, and that can communicate a wide variety of things. And so um, the ESV in that place has respect, show respect for them. NLT has honor them. And then uh, the NAS is a little bit vague, but it says recognize them. That means more than just, yeah, you're there. It's recognize something about them. And who is it that we're to acknowledge here? We're to acknowledge those who work hard among us, okay? Those who engage in hard work, implying difficulty and trouble. When you look at that, that verse, those who work hard, you're going to see in just a moment to warn those who are idle, okay? Down in verse 14. But here, the encouragement is to acknowledge those who work hard. And, and here's something that I found interesting that I never thought about with this passage is that Probably the hard and fast pastoral role hadn't really been established at the point of the writing of First Thessalonians. It's so early in church history that those offices probably hadn't become more hard and fast. And so this, this, these are people who are just leaders within the church. There may be spiritual juggernauts that are helping to bring others to a fuller 
walk with himself. And so the reason I say that is that this isn't just about an office. This is about those who are exemplifying spiritual leadership and working hard in the things of God. Okay? So to acknowledge them is what he wants us to do, to know who they are, those who work hard. And this, uh, this Greek word for work hard, who work hard is actually all one word, and it means those who engage in hard work, implying difficulty and trouble. Some um, have implied, and this, this comes out of some of the background that I grew up in and, and just some thinking about this, that when you do spiritual things, it's never hard work. That's not true. It is hard work. God helps us in it. God helps us, helps it to succeed. It's not our hard work that causes Even Paul says in one place, I worked harder than all of those guys, not me, but the Lord working through me. So he's recognizing that simultaneously he's working hard and he's, he's working himself to the point that uh, he's exhausted, but God is helping him and doing the real heavy lifting, which is spiritual change. Okay? So you understand that it's not either or, it's both. God working in us, but there is an exhaustion factor in working for the things of God. And so the the other, the main dictionary for uh, the Greek New Testament says to exert oneself physically, mentally, or spiritually, to work hard, toil, strive, and struggle. I think it would be uh, good to mention today um, a few people, we're coming to the end of the year, a few people who serve this church and there's a lot of people who are serving at different levels, and this is a this is a volunteer church. Okay? You you know what I mean by that. Most of what's done in the kingdom of God couldn't be done without volunteers. Do you know that? Like that moves that moves the ball forward. It's one of the reasons why we can do such great things with so little funds, is because people put their lives behind it. Okay, and so. There's a lot of volunteers. There are people serving in kids' ministry week in and week out. And they don't get to be here. Some people are serving in security. Some people are serving at the front, and they're not able to be in service. And there's some people that their job is basically to make sure things are safe so that we can come and enjoy and receive from the Lord the things that we should. And there's a lot of different levels of this happening. But, but I need to mention to you today uh, some people who are giving their lives to this. And uh, I want to I mention that because I think it's appropriate in light of this. Um, <laughs> I think uh, the first one would be Janie. I want to mention that she has given her life to the cause of building the body of Christ here. Um, Zach and Kara. Kiki. Joe and Trenton. Renita. And somebody that you will probably never see except behind the scenes is Paige. And they, these, um, you'll say, well, what about me? You, I, I thank you. If you serve, and there are a lot of other people that serve in big ways. But I'm telling you that the names I've mentioned, they're involved in everything. Everything. By the time it gets planned to the time it's followed through. And on they're dedicating hours and their lives. And they're working hard. Okay, and so I want to, let's say thank you. Can we do that? This, this church, I'm telling you, if it was only what I do, it would be sad. It would, because the gifts and talents that I have are very narrow. 
and there are a lot of people who can contribute in ways that just make this an awesome place to be. And most of all, we thank the Lord, don't we? Who is seen to it that we're all brought together and we're going a similar direction. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I know I want, want you to think I was fishing for that. I certainly wasn't. I really wanted to say that there's a, a lot of contribution that makes this really good. And I wanted to mention a few of those people. And so those I mentioned are involved in just about everything. So I want to follow that biblical command and acknowledge them and show them respect. The second category within this is those who care in the Lord, those who care, care for you in the Lord. Um, And this means to care through tasks of leadership. Uh, Different translations seem to struggle with how to translate this. NRSV says, who have charge of you. Uh, NET, we probably don't like this as Americans, but because we're a little bit independent, John Wayne, in our thinking. But the, the New English translation says, who preside over you. And uh, no one's over me. Well, there is hierarchy within the body of Christ, you understand. But it's not um, a domineering thing. It ought to be a serving thing. Okay? And then the NAS is, who are in leadership over you. And so there, the care is not just, I really care about you, but it's, it's leading in ways that will be helpful. And sometimes it's not always seen as loving, like if you have to correct somebody, you know this, that nobody wants to be corrected. Nobody enjoys that. But there are times for that, and that is an expression of spiritual care to do that. And that's probably one of the things I like the least, that and board meetings, those two things. But I, I want you to know uh, in verse 12 here, once again, it's those who care for you in the Lord. Okay, It's in the Lord. Okay? And this means that it pertains to the Christian life. And the you is plural, so you shouldn't imagine that the pastor's responsibility is to be your personal guide on every matter pertaining to godliness. Um, there used to be this thing that was going on in the church back in the 80s called the shepherding movement. Some of you have probably heard of that. And you had to get yourself under a shepherd. And like the extreme forms of it would be like you can't buy a car and you can't move or switch jobs unless you talk to your shepherd about it. I don't, I don't want that, and I don't have time for that. I think that God gives us his spirit, and we can make decisions like that. And if you need counsel, let's talk. Talk to other Christian friends. But that's not the thing that this is about. This is about leading in the things of the Lord. Okay, So saying, you know, and it doesn't mean that the shepherd has it all together. It means that as a person who's been encouraged or been tasked with oversight to a flock that we have to watch out for spiritual dangers so that we're all we're all living for the lord the way that we can personal dangers and corporate dangers that happen and so it seems to me that the healthiest way to understand this is that the bible is our authority because it communicates the will of god the pastor leads a congregation to help us mature in the faith and to give counsel when needed and to correct when needed sometimes as a coach sometimes as a referee But God doesn't give a comprehensive vision of every individual Christian life to the pastor. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, if you're called to start a certain ministry, or if you're called to be, you know, have lots of kids, or or whatever it may be, 
God hasn't told me what his vision is for your life, except this, you're to be conformed to the image of Christ. Okay? And so, as far as I'm concerned, my striving is to see that our character is what it should be, and then what you do with that, you can't have a job that's in contradiction with your Christian character, you understand. But apart from that, there's a lot of freedom. You can do whatever God's called you to do, and and then we work together. So it's 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 that rather than this domineering kind of thing. Okay. Then the next one may not be so pleasant is those who admonish you in the Lord. Admonish here is to provide instruction as to correct behavior and belief. Okay. So that might be teaching what is right, or if something goes wrong, correcting. So there's coaching, and there's a little bit of refereeing that may happen in there. Okay, and saying that this this isn't right. So at times it means warning and rebuke. In verse 14, the same word is used for what to do with those who are idle. It says warn here, but the same Greek word for admonish is used in that passage. They're just translating it differently. And no one likes these things, but it's part of our growing up in the body of Christ. I'll tell you a little secret is that as little as you want to be corrected, I don't want to correct you even more than that. Do you understand if I ever am called upon to have to say something? That's, a hard, that's one of the hardest things. And yet, it's part of the calling of a pastor. And it's part of the calling of people who are in your life spiritually. You'll find out in just a minute that it's not just the pastor doing that, that we do that for one another. We encourage one another. We admonish one another in these things. And I think, too, um, something that should be said here is that if anyone wants to do ministry, it would be good to notice that the focus of ministry is one another. Look, look at each of these verse. Acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, who admonish you. Okay? The focus of the ministry, the object that's receiving all of the verbs here of ministry is somebody else. It's not the person doing the ministry. Okay? So if you pertain to any kind of ministry in the body of Christ, understand that it's not about you. It never can be about you. Too many people are in ministry for themselves. My name, it's my gift, it's my ministry, it's my church, it's my calling, it's my burden. You know what I mean? Like when they say, I've got the gift of this, that always like is a red flag. You don't have the gift. The Holy Spirit's got the gift. And it's not your gift, it's... God's gift through you. And so it's not really about us. Really important to understand. I think I had a, a next line up here to look at uh, one of my main points, but we can get past that in just a moment. We'll come to the end here. But it's in the Lord, those who admonish you, those who warn you. And if we're to do ministry, they do it. we do it for one another. Okay, what are we to do? Verse 13 says, um, acknowledge them, and then it says, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Hold them in the highest regard. Hold them in highest regard means to esteem them, okay, or to hold a certain opinion about them. The Bible gets to command our opinions. Do you realize that? That we don't just get to have whatever our opinions are. They need to be sanctified and brought into the proper opinions that God has uh, for us to express. The KJV has here, esteem them, 
very highly in love, NLT. Show them great respect and wholehearted love. I think that's probably really well said. And it's not just for any reason. It's because of their work in the Lord. Spiritual leadership's important. If um, ever I've given the impression that it's not, please forgive me. And this is true of anyone who works hard and leads people in the things of the Lord. Much of what the church can do is done through volunteer help. But there's a difference um, even between volunteering and having a volunteer mentality. I thought well, maybe I'd take a minute to say something about that is that sometimes we think that if we're not paid, we can give less. And the names of the people that I mentioned, some of them, they volunteer their time and they do it with excellence. And they don't treat it as a volunteer position, even though it is. You, you understand the difference between volunteering and having a volunteer mindset? Volunteer mindset says, if it doesn't get done, that's okay. Or um, if I can't do it, I'll just check out. Or I'm just not going to give my very best because I'm not getting paid for it. That's a volunteer mindset. But a lot of the leadership within these churches volunteered, but they gave themselves wholeheartedly and hard work to the things of God. And so all of it's for the Lord, and it will matter longer than many of the other things that we give our best to. And I think it's why uh, people who work hard for the Lord should be held in highest regard and be highly loved, and they often are. You don't often have to even reinforce those commands. You'll find that people who are giving themselves selflessly to others, they are loved. Okay, And, and there's a reason for this, that it's commanded. There is a reason. is because sometimes we don't see it. And then verse 13 says, after all of this, live in peace. Live in peace with each other. Look at, look at how it says that. Live in peace with each other. And so here, this is an imperative. What's an imperative? That's a command. Okay, so now we've gotten out of the urging portion here. Here we're getting into an imperative, a command where he's saying, uh, you must live in peace. You live in peace with one another. And uh, it's not just important as commanded. What's commanded, I think, is possible, don't you? Do you agree that if God commands something, that with his help, it's possible? Okay. Okay, so if he commands something, then we can do it. And even though it's possible, it doesn't mean it's natural. Right? Just because it's possible doesn't mean it's natural. Like, a lot of the things in the Bible that are possible because God has said they are requires something of us. If you just think about how there's this fallen nature that used to possess us, right? And we have to resist that as normal. We're not, it's not normal. We have this redeemed nature now with the help of God, and we have to subdue our old tendencies. You'll see it like this in the New Testament, put off, put to death, right? Say no, resist the old nature. And the old nature is at war with right when it's contrary to what we want, and so we have to subdue it. We aren't going to do it with psychotechnique and psychobabble or medication. We're going to do it because we've put to death the old nature and we're living with the new nature in Christ. And so we can say no to the peace killer through the power of the Holy Spirit. You agree? And this should be the state of the church where the Holy Spirit is heard. Ego is replaced with the love of God and preference for one another. Each other equals yourselves here. It means that we're to have peace with ourselves, within ourselves, within the 
the group. Okay. The second is admonitions toward those in need, those who need, those who need. These are things that are urged. Look at verse 14 with me. Things that are urged here. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, if you just look back at verse 12, you'll see a parallel. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters. Now we're hearing, now we urge you, brothers and sisters. And who's being urged here? The whole church. Brothers and sisters, the whole church. Gordon Fee thinks this is supposed to be the summation of the entire letter that he's now giving us some practical things to go home on. And so verse 14, he says, warn the idle and disruptive. Um, There's some discussion about this because they're not exactly sure where this term falls. Being idle usually leads to stepping out of line. If you're not, what's the phrase that idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? That all you got to do is stop doing the thing that you need to do and you're prey, easy prey to doing the wrong kinds of things. And so here he's... um, saying warn them or advise someone against dangerous consequences of being idle or stepping out of line. The, the word idle here is a military term for a soldier who doesn't keep, keep their rank. Okay, so they step out of line. ESV has admonished the idle. New English translation admonished the undisciplined. Uh, Bible for everyone warn those who step out of line. He's saying warn them. So who's to do this? Just the pastor? No. One another. Now, don't act like you've been deputized. There's a new sheriff in town, and we're going to run around being the personal police for everyone. No, it's not like that. But what this is is an encouragement for us to help hold one another accountable in the things of God. Okay, If, if we're idle and disruptive, we, need to, we may need to say something. Okay, So the idle could be either those who are out of line, or it could be those who aren't doing anything productive. And I'm just choosing to take a neutral ground because I don't know, but there's a lot of discussion on this. Warn them and uh, help them to know that what they're doing is not good. Verse 14 says, encourage the disheartened. So there's a group of people that are not doing what they should be doing. We're to warn them. And the warning here is a the kind of thing that says they're, you know, there are consequences to living that way. Now, encourage takes on a whole different feel, doesn't it? It's like console or cheer up those who are discouraged. Some people are trying to live for God, but they're for some reason they're stalled. And here he's talking about those who are disheartened when you feel you don't have it in you to do or to keep doing what you should. That's being disheartened, okay? being disillusioned or discouraged, you can see all these words kind of coming together, Um, then you're kind of close to the meaning of what disheartened here. If you have the KJV, it says feeble-minded, which meant lacking resolve in 1611, but since it's come to mean stupid. So if you prefer the KJV, you'll have to keep in mind the older meaning of that word, which is that um, those who don't have the heart in them to keep going. We're to encourage them. Isaiah 35, 3 through 4 says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come, and He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. If we're to think contextually about this, 
the problem that probably the Thessalonians are facing, these first tiers, is that there's massive persecution that's broken out, and they're just simply trying to love God and do the right thing. And for some people, maybe if they have a a little booth where their livelihood is selling things at a little shop in the marketplace, and now people have found out they're a Christian and they won't buy from them anymore. You can think how hard that would be to continue to follow Christ when you can't get any income. How are you going to do that? Because people are directly and deliberately persecuting you. How do you deal with that? Well, that's where the church comes in. We can encourage one another, and sometimes encouragement comes in tangible ways. You, you see? And so this is part of encouraging the disheartened, giving heart again to those who don't have it within themselves. This is the beauty of the body of Christ is that we're not all on cloud nine all the time. Okay? As much as sometimes we say we are, uh, maybe you're the exception of this, and please tell me if you are. But in my experience, living around triumphant believers, I found that every once in a while a triumphant believer has a bad day. And they're discouraged. And you know what I found is that in the body of Christ, it's a weird phenomenon that's, that when one is down, another is up. I'm like, well, that, you could see that as like a cruel reality. Like, how does God bless them and it's so hard for them? No, it's not that at all. It's that the person who's doing well can now encourage the person who's down on their luck. And I don't mean luck in the superstitious sense. You know what I'm saying? Figure of speech. Okay, so... How do, we, how do we do that? We encourage the disheartened. So this is probably especially true of those who find it hard to follow Christ because they're being persecuted, but it's true of everyone. You just don't have it in you to do what God's asking you to do, or you're losing heart. We can come along beside you and encourage you in that. Verse 14 says, help the weak. This verb means hold on to the weak. Help here has a clinging sense to it. Hold them up. Weak might be physically weak, but probably it means spiritually weak in this context. Even those who are not mature, uh, those who fail, be devoted to them and give them the support that they need. Okay, so we need to help the weak. Not everybody's strong. Sometimes the thing that I've seen happen, and I've probably done it myself before, is we say to the weak person, be strong. That's helpful. Why not come along beside and say, how can I help you be strong? What can, I, what can I do? How can I pray for you? How can I talk with you about this? Is there something I can take off your plate to help you focus on this thing in the Lord? Okay. So we help one another. We help the weak. And then verse 14, be patient with everyone. So sometimes when you're doing ministry, you can get frustrated because it's not making the difference as quick as you would think. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like the first day you pray the prayer, the first day you say the witness, you think that there ought to be change, and there's not always. Sometimes it's a process. I remember my friend Chad in high school, I was witnessing to him, and I was witnessing him for two months, and I thought it was an eternity. Now, I'm done. He's never going to get it. If he can't get it in two months... Right? Anybody here been praying for somebody for years and years? I know Gary and Marilyn have been praying for their kids for years, and some of them are just now getting it, and it's becoming glorious. So, um, But two months, 
I had a really short view of the Christian life. I'm I'm done. Well, just about that time, he comes to visit me and tells me, I gave my heart to the Lord. So <laughs> I thought about that scripture, uh, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint. Well, I fainted, and I still reaped somehow. God reaped, but we don't want to give up. Be patient with everyone, and probably... The everyone here is everyone in the church, but especially those in these groups, the ones that are mentioned here, the the idle and disruptive, which you have to warn, and maybe again and again. The disheartened, you have to encourage again and again, and they've not quite gotten the victory, but you stand with them in the week. You, you help again and again, but in that, you have to be patient with them. And this word for patient, there's there's two words that stand out in the New Testament and one of them, um, the the, the pre- prefix to it is macro. And the second part of the word, thumia, means suffering. Much suffering. Patience is to endure through much suffering. Long suffering is the old, older English word on that. That's to suffer long, to, to walk through it with someone, and to go through the difficulty again and again, and to persist. Forbearance is a good word. Or long-suffering, which means willing to endure difficulty for a long time. So we're to be that way with everyone. If you're the kind of person who wants to write people off after the first time or the second time they've offended you, then let's get the Christian spirit in us that says we don't write people off. Come on. We need that, don't we? I need that. Verse 15, make sure that. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what's good. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. Okay, so here the the word means to see to it, to take responsibility for causing something to happen. Who's this? Who's this speaking to? Pastor? Everybody. See to it that no one pays. That means, in a sense, we're making sure that they're isn't this revenge theme that's going on in our church. Okay? We need to make sure that we're we're not giving back wrong for wrong. This is the call for everyone. See to it. Okay? And then verse 15, toward everyone indeed, always strive to do what's good for each other. That's within the church. This is the one another one of those one another commands, do what's good for each other, not what's bad. Let's make our default setting what's good for one another, okay? But then it says for everyone else, towards everyone indeed, always strive, always strive. This, uh, this word is a, can be a literal word, which means to run after, pursue, okay? But figuratively, it means to do something with intense effort and definite purpose, that we know our goal and we're running towards it with intense effort. What is it that we're to do? We're to strive, okay, intense effort to do good. When's the last time we purposefully did good for someone, or was it more of like we just happened to fall into it? Like, oh, that's a good thought. It just occurred to me. Or that we actually considered another person's situation and, and thought carefully about how we might do good to improve their situation. This is God's call for us, and I think that if we did all of these things that are talked about, we'd be a better church, don't you? I think we're already doing some of them. But I think this is Paul's word to the Thessalonians. 
do so more and more. I see that you already love one another. Do so more and more. There's room for growth. There's progress. This is God's call to his people. It's good that we're talking since we're going into a new year. I'm going to skip through these things here toward those who lead, toward those who need, towards those indeed. Okay, And it's good that we're talking about this going into a new year. Maybe new commitments can be made to Christ and to each other. Jesus said we should love one another. He said we should serve one another. Uh, we're members of one another. And uh, that's the kind of circle that can't be broken, right? And we're to be at peace with one another. All right. Now I'm going to entertain you with a haiku. The church, a body, foot, hand, eye, ear, gifts to Christ, work the work of one. That's God's call to us. Amen? All right. Stand with me if you would. Father, thank you, Lord, for giving such a wonderful instructions to a church that no doubt was already doing some of these things, and and now we hear it again. And the call is to think about one another. It's it's one another commands. It's the practical outworkings of our faith. Is that if love is the chief command, this is the way that these are. This is done, so that we can all grow up into maturity, into Christ, and exemplify you to the world. Lord, we recognize that maybe our witness would be better if we weren't fighting with one another and wrapped up and consumed in speculations about minutia rather than agreeing upon upon the, the fundamentals. And Lord, we ask that you would stir our hearts today by your word. Strengthen us to be the people of God you're calling us to be in this new year. Lord, we want to respond to you and be a more glorious church. The glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So if you see something in us, something that needs work, would you shine your light upon that today in light of this message Help us to hear your voice. Help us to know your heart. Give us the resources we need to accomplish this great work that people might see your love. You said that by this, this love for one another, people will know you're my disciples. Let it be obvious, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. If you've never committed your life to Christ or Maybe you've not been walking with him today. Would you pray a prayer? I invite you to do this, to say to the Lord, Lord, forgive me and draw me near to yourself. I believe you died for me and rose again. Come and be near to me. And I believe he will. And maybe there's others here who would say, yeah, this is true. I really thought of it like that, that this is Christ's vision for the church, that he wants it to be a glorious thing both on earth and in heaven. And Lord, help me to see where I've gone wrong. If I've done something wrong that I need to repent of, we want to say we're sorry to him. Lord, if somebody here has 
recognize they could do better in an area, I pray that you help them with every resource to do that. We want to be all about you. We want you to be our vision. We want your desire, which has been revealed right here. This is your desire for your church. We want it to be lived through us. No matter how every day it may seem that other people might see a symphony. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.